Well, good morning, Restoration Church. Pastor Kevin here. Thank you so much for tuning into this online service today, whether you are watching this live or after the fact. I am so thankful that we have the ability to worship God together through song, to open our Bibles and study scripture together, and to be able to interact with one another through the comments. Uh, what a great opportunity. So I, I want to invite you. Uh, let's do that this morning. Let's interact with one another and uh, connect with one another through the comments. As we start out, I want to start with just a little real talk here. Some real talk between you and I. I want to talk about the times when God feels distant, where maybe God even feels absent. We begin to wonder about God's love. Typically, what happens is we begin to look at our circumstances when life gets hard, when things become a little bit challenging, and we wonder, God, God, don't you love me? I mean, many of us have found ourselves in that situation, we've been there. Maybe we lost the job and we wondered how are we gonna provide for our family? Maybe we longed to be a parent and we suffer through a miscarriage. Maybe it's through the unexpected death of a loved one that, that we counted on, relied on. Maybe for you, it was when the marriage came to an end. Or maybe when you watched your kids make some poor choices. Maybe for you, it's just looking around the world around us where you've got this pandemic that is raging all around us. You've got this election. And it, these two things have created more division and anger at one another than perhaps we've ever seen in our history. Where we look at our circumstances around us, we say, God, God, where are you? God, I don't, I don't feel you right now. I thought you loved me. I'm trying to follow you, God. Why am I struggling right now? In fact, years ago when I worked at Madison House, there was a young man I was working with, a man I loved, a young man I loved, great kid, all the potential in the world, who came from a pretty broken home life. His dad was, uh, was an addict. He was abusive. He was a mean man. And I remember one night at camp, we're off at camp, and he call, pulls me aside that night. He said, Kevin, you keep talking about this love of God. He said, but when I look around at my life, is that what love is? Is that the love of God? That young man had a hard time accepting the fact that God loved him. And he went down a dark path not long after that night at camp. In fact, C.S. Lewis understood what it was like to have these difficult times in life when it felt like God was absent. And he wrote during one of the most painful times of his life, he said, I cried out to God and it seemed as if the door slammed shut in my face. On the other side, I heard the sound of the deadbolt, even double locks. And after that, I was met with silence. He said, I might as well turn away because the longer I wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. C.S. Lewis said, why is God so present a commander in our time of prosperity and so very absent a help in our time of trouble? Many of us can understand those words. I know there's some of us who are listening. Some of us are saying, well, not me. Well, not me. My faith is so strong. I would never doubt God. I'd never doubt his love for me. Listen, if that's you, man, that's awesome. That means you have a greater faith than the disciples who walked with Jesus who doubted God. That means that you've got a greater faith than John the Baptist, who Jesus said this, Jesus said, no man born of woman is greater than him. As John the Baptist in, in Matthew chapter 11 was imprisoned and he began to question whether Jesus is truly the Messiah. See, one of the things that we need to understand is doubt is not the opposite of faith. 
Certainty is the opposite of faith. I mean, faith in itself, faith is a belief in the unseen, the belief in what can't be known. Faith is this. Faith is when my boys were young and I would take them to the swimming pool. They'd stand on the edge of the pool and I'd be in the pool a couple feet and I'd put my hands out and I'd say, jump, jump, I'll catch you. Listen, doubt is natural. Doubt is, I don't know if dad's really going to catch me. But faith is jumping anyways. Listen, I don't want you to feel shame about doubt. I don't want you to to be concerned that you have doubt. But what I want you to, to know is what to do with that doubt. And that's what we're talking about today, about the very real times when God feels to be absent, when it feels as if God's love is gone and you don't feel his love around you. This morning, if you have a Bible, I invite you to open your Bible to the book of Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. If you, op- if you open up your Bible and find the book of Matthew, just turn left a few pages and you'll find the book of Malachi. This fall, we're going to be in a new sermon series where we're going to look at uh, the, the book of Malachi and we're going to see a conversation between God and the Israelite people through his prophet Malachi. One of the things I love to do when we're looking at books of the Bible is is help us to understand the context of where this book fits into the biblical narrative, the story of the Bible. We know the story of the Bible is that God chose, God chose the, the Israelite nation to be his chosen people, that they would be the people that would love and worship God and they would be a beacon of hope and light throughout the world. Of course, as we read the Bible, the Old Testament, we know that the Israelites failed. They failed again and again to be that beacon of hope and light to the world, to be faithful to God. And so they suffered judgment from God. And Babylon came and conquered the nation of Israel and sent them into captivity. But God never stopped loving uh, the nation that he chose, the nation of Israel. And so he allowed a remnant of God's people to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. He allowed more people to return to Jerusalem with Nehemiah to rebuild the walls around the city. And that is the context that we find in the book of Malachi. The people have returned to the land. They're saying, God, God, we're following you. God, we're following you. We've heard all the prophecies from all the prophets. We've heard about the coming Messiah, about how we're supposed to have freedom and how there's going to be blessing and prosperity. And now, God, we've returned to Jerusalem. We've rebuilt the temple. We're ready. And they're waiting. And they begin to look around and say, you know what? We're not experiencing that blessing that we thought we would have. We are still under Persian rule. Instead of prosperity, we're suffering through famine. And as a result, the people of God began to become lethargic in the relationship with him. They began to be indifferent towards God. Now, they were absolutely still worshiping him, but their worship of God became ritualistic. It became still and stagnant, as if they were just going through the motions. They even got to the point when they were excusing some of their sin in their lives. Malachi chapter 1, verse 1, really becomes a foundation for this whole book. Verse 1, it says, The oracle, oracle is a word that means a, a burden which is something that would be carried, that would be difficult to bear. Which gives us this idea as we look at the book of Malachi, what's coming is not all butterflies and unicorns. There's going to be some hard stuff that this book is going to include. It says, An oracle of the word of the Lord 
to Israel by Malachi. See, the name Malachi means my messenger. And so this idea of this book is we're going to hear Malachi's voice, but we're actually hearing the words of God. It's actually God's words through the prophet Malachi. And this is important to us because in our world, there's a lot of words about God. There's a lot of thoughts and philosophy and speculation and opinions about God. But the Bible actually declares itself not to be a word about God. The Bible declares itself to be a word from God. It's a word from God to us. In fact, this is what I want to do. We're going to spend about eight weeks looking at the book of Malachi. I want to encourage you every week, would you read through the book of Malachi? It's a short book. We're talking about only four chapters. But as we, as we, we study this book, I want us to read this book individually, to hear the word of God to us. And I promise as we read it, we will discover some challenging, challenging truths that we need to ponder. But more than that, at its core, we will find that Malachi is a love letter from God, full of hope and encouragement to us. And that is my prayer for you. That as you read the word of God, that you would hear God speaking directly to you. And this is a book of Malachi. Where, where God is, is calling out people's indifference. He's calling out their lukewarm faith and calling them to return back to Him, back to a passionate and wholehearted worship of God, that they would be wholly dedicated to Him. This book is going to be centered on seven topics that are introduced by a, a divine statement, followed up by either a question or a complaint from the people of God. And it's that first statement that we're going to look at today that is relevant to us as, we, as it deals with how we can be assured of God's love for us even when we don't feel it. Feel it. And here's what it says in verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. Man, I love that that is how this book starts out. Do you know that everything starts and begins with the love of God for us? Listen, when Malachi says, uh, when God says, I have loved you, he says, I have loved you in the perfect tense, which means this. It means that God say, saying, I have loved you. I do love you. And I always will love you. It's a perfect tense. It's always there. I thought, here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to listen to these words. Close your eyes and listen to these words. I want you to allow these words to flow into your ears, into your mind, into your imagination, and take root in your heart. Here's what God says. I love you. I have loved you. I always will love you. Isn't that magnificent? God's people, though, they, become, they had become dull and weary, and they were no longer moved by the love of God. And so their response in verse 2 is, God, how have you loved us? Now, we can read that statement when they say, God, how have you loved us? And typically, there's two ways for us to respond. The first way is in our spiritual arrogance, we say, well, I can't believe they said that. Or in our humility, we can say, I can't believe I have said that. Let's just be honest, how many of us hear that word, hear those words and think, you know what, God says he loves me, but if I'm being honest, I don't really feel that right now. I don't see that in my life around me. Because that's where God's people found themselves. They're struggling financially. 
There, there was an economic downturn that they're suffering through. They were struggling, struggling politically. Their, their once great nation had lost its power and its prestige that it had once known. The nation of Israel, the people of God, they're struggling morally, where there was a ton of rebellion and sin and folly happening all around. And again, these people weren't atheists. This was the people of God. But they were struggling. And they're looking around, wondering, God, where are you? And God is about to answer in a profound way, a way that if you and I would listen, it would cause us to to tremble with joy and with reverent fear over the goodness and the grace of God and the fact that he has chosen to love us. So the people ask, God, how have you loved us? And here's his answer. Verse 2, Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. God says, you want to know how I've loved you? You can't just look at today or tomorrow. You've got to look back to what I did yesterday, what I did long ago. In fact, God goes all the way back to Abraham, all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. The story of Abraham is this. Abraham was a godless man who came from a godless family. There was nothing about Abraham that would make God want to choose him or to set his love on him. But when God shows up, God chooses Abraham and makes a promise to him and says, I'm going to make your descendants a great nation and all the world will be blessed by your descendants. Abraham, he believed that promise by faith. Abraham has a son by the name of Isaac. Isaac marries a girl by the name of Rebekah who becomes pregnant with twins, Esau and Jacob. And like most boys, those boys were fighting. They they, they often fought even before they were born. While they were in the womb, they were fighting. And Rebekah is wondering, God, what's happening inside of me? What's happening with these boys in my womb? And God answers Rebekah in Genesis chapter 25, verse 23. God says, There are two nations in your womb. One will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. See, what we have to understand is is in the custom of that day was the older son always, always will receive all the rights and the privileges and carries on the line. But what God just said is even before the brothers were born, God is saying, listen, I have chosen the younger I have elected the younger brother to, to, be, to be chosen by me to, pr- to promote God's purposes over the older. That is what God was saying. Romans chapter 9 helps us unpack this idea about God's choosing, about his election. It says in verse 11 that before Esau and Jacob had done anything good or bad, before they were even born, God chose Jacob So that the glory and who God chose isn't based on on them. It isn't based on what they've done. It's based on God alone. So that God alone gets the glory. And so this is what what they're saying. God has loved Jacob, but hated Esau. Now I know that word hate is a hard word for us to understand. And this word hate does not mean a literal hate. It means that, that God loved Jacob so much that it felt like Esau was hated because he didn't receive that same love. In fact, Jesus uses this same language in the New Testament in Luke chapter 14. Jesus says, Anyone who comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, his sisters, even his own life cannot be my disciple. 
Jesus clearly does not mean that we're supposed to hate our family, but what he means is that being a disciple of Jesus is a much greater priority than even the love for our family. So that's what we're, we're finding. And in Malachi, Malachi is not talking specifically about the twin boys. He's talking about the nations that they would become. He's saying, listen, God chose to pass by Esau, to pass by the nation of Edom, and God chose to work through Jacob. God chose the Israelite nation to be his chosen people, the ones that he would bring blessing throughout the entire world. The question, if, the question is, if God chooses Jacob, what happens to Esau? Well, he wasn't chosen by God. And his descendants continued to live in rebellion against God, and they suffered the wrath that all sinners deserve. Here's what it says in verse 3. God says, I've laid waste to his hill country, and I left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If the nation of Edom says, we're shattered, but we will rebuild, the Lord says, they may build, but I will tear them down, and they will be called the wicked country and the people whom the Lord is angry with forever. Listen, I, I want to recognize this. Just acknowledge the doctrine of election is hard. It's a hard thing for us to understand that God chooses to love some, but not others. It's a hard pill for us to swallow. I mean, we hear this and we think, that's not fair. It's not fair. How can God choose to love one person, but not another? How can God choose to love Jacob, but not Esau? Listen, I agree with you. If I was God, that is clearly not the way that I would do it. But here's the thing. You and I, you and I, we are not God. God didn't ask us how he thinks we, how we think he should govern the universe. God is free to act however he determines. Scripture tells us that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than ours. His ways are higher than ours. In fact, I'm pretty sure the Bible says that he is the potter and we are the clay, which means God is free to do whatever he pleases. In fact, in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul knew we'd have this issue. So on this issue of election, he says in Romans 9 verse 14 and 15, he says, what shall we say then? That God is unfair? Of course not. Verse 15, For God said to Moses, I will show mercy on anyone I choose. I will show compassion to anyone I choose. Listen, I acknowledge this can be so hard for us to understand. I've had to wrestle through it in my own life. And at times, I still have to choose to submit and believe God by faith. But when we look at the context... We look at the context of what Malachi is writing about, where the people are not feeling the love of God. Listen, the truth of God's electing and choosing us gives us such incredible hope and comfort. And it teaches us some incredible truths about the love of God that we can receive. Here's, here's what this doctrine teaches us about the love of God. It teaches us that the love of God is a gift of grace and mercy from God. See, some of us, some of us have been taught that God loves good people, right? I mean, that's what we've been taught. God loves good people. And if that is true, then God could not love Jacob or Esau because both of those boys were bad boys. Esau was a vengeful man. He was indifferent to God. Esau sold his birthright 
which means he sold his leadership, his status, his legacy for a meal. And Jacob, Jacob was, might have even been more wicked than Esau. Jacob was a liar and a schemer who manipulated people and tricked people and took advantage of people to get what he wanted. Listen, if God only loved good people, there's no way that God could love Jacob or Esau. In fact, if God loved good people, there's no way that God could love you and I and any of us. Because all of us, none of us, none of us are good. All of us are bent towards sin and selfishness and rebellion against God. And in the story, Esau got God's wrath. He got what both he and Jacob deserved. He got what you and I deserve, the wrath of God. And what did Jacob get? God chose to set his love and affection on him. Not because Jacob earned it. He didn't. It was a gift of God, a gift of grace, a gift of mercy. It was the grace of God in his life. You know what grace is? Grace is simply undeserved favor from God. We don't earn it. It's just a gift that God gives to us. You know what this means for you and I today? This means that you and I, we are not worthy of God's love. But because God's love is a gift of grace and mercy, something that we don't deserve, that means that you and I, every one of us listening, we are potential recipients of God's love because it's not based on what we do. It's based on God's grace, on God's mercy. This doctrine of election, it teaches us about the love of God. It teaches us that God always loves first. Remember, God chose to love Jacob before Jacob was ever born. That means that God's love came first before Jacob could ever love God. Do you know, do you know how mind-blowing that is? The fact that God chose to love us first? Listen, if you have experienced the love of God, think about that fact that God looked over the course of humanity and God chose you. He chose you. You didn't choose God. We've wrongly taught people that you can choose to follow God. Listen, Romans chapter 3 says, no one chooses God. Listen, God chose you. How amazing is that? That God chose you. This doctrine also teaches us that God's love is unconditional. Remember, Jacob, he was not a great man. Even after God had chosen him, he was still a liar and a deceiver. He, he was still a bad man. In fact, most of our heroes in the Bible, most of them have hang-ups. Moses had anger issues. David was an adulterer and a murderer. The, the apostle Peter, man, he, he denied Jesus three times when Jesus needed him most. And every one of those times, the love of God was not revoked. They didn't lose their salvation. They didn't lose the love. They didn't lose the love of God because they struggled. God's love is not based on us keeping certain conditions. Yes, there's absolutely consequences for certain if we disobey God. But God's love will always remain intact, and His love will always remain on us. Listen, who is it that needs to hear that today? Who needs to hear that message today? That maybe you look at your life and you feel like, man, I screwed up. I've screwed up. Listen, you need to hear this. That God says to you, I have loved you. I do love you. And I will continue to love you. And it's not conditional. I've chosen to set my love on you. And it's yours now. In fact, I want to 
try and bring this idea of God's choosing us, of God's election of his love, I want to try and bring this to a close by giving us a, a picture, a picture for you. I want to tell you a little bit of my story. You may know this, you may not. I am a product of the Washington State foster system. My two sisters and I, we were adopted by our mom and dad when we were young. And I'll tell you what, I didn't recognize how incredible this was until recently. Because here's the thing. My parents, my parents, they, they chose me. They chose me. They chose my sisters. They chose us to be a part of their family. So we didn't do anything to deserve them choosing us, to deserve that adoption. It's not like we were in the foster system showing off how, showing off how awesome we were. We were pretty messed up when we were taken away from our biological family. But my parents chose us. They chose to adopt us. They chose to love us. They never stopped loving us. It's incredible to think of the love that they gave me. And because of that love, I want nothing more than to make them proud. I want to return my love to them through the way that I live. Listen, do you understand? Do you understand that God is a father? That God has chosen you. He has, he has chosen to adopt you. He has chosen to bring you into his family. He has chosen to love you first. How incredible is that to know that God chose you? I mean, what could be more loving than this? Despite the fact that we are going to fail God daily, despite the fact that we have not earned God's love, he looked across humanity, he looked across the world, and he chose you. He chose to set his love and his affection on you. And this is what Malachi is saying. When the world feels upside down, when our circumstances are so challenging and difficult, and they're going to be in this world, that we have this word of God to us as believers. That God says to us, I love you. I have loved you. I do love you. And I always will love you. And we don't have to, we don't have to ask God, how have you loved us? Just the fact that he chose us should cause us to tremble with joy, be overwhelmed with gratitude. The fact that God chose to set his favor and blessing and love on us. Listen, if you are listening to this message today and you have not yet placed your faith in Jesus, listen, I believe that God is calling you. I believe God is inviting you to receive his love, to be adopted into the family of God. In fact, John chapter 1 says to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, that he gave them the right to become the children of God. Listen, today is the day. Today, God has initiated this conversation with you. He has put you in this position where you are hearing this video today to hear this message that God says to you, I love you. I have loved you. I do love you, and I always will. And today I invite you to receive that love by placing your faith in Jesus. Listen, I don't know what's happening in your world. I don't know how difficult life is for you right now. Some of us in reality are struggling. 
our, our circumstances are difficult and we wonder, God, where are you? God, do you love me? And God's word for us today is the fact that I've set my love on you proves I've loved you, that I chose you. Let me pray for us. God, this is such a, a big theological distinction for us to understand. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand what Malachi is trying to teach us today. That in the middle of life, when it becomes difficult, when life becomes hard and challenging, we begin to wonder, God, where are you? God, how can I know that you love me? God, I pray that you help us to see that, God, just as you chose Jacob, that, God, you've chosen us to be your children. You've chosen us to extend your love to, to invite us to be a part of your family, that you've adopted us as the children of God. And God, I pray that we would be overwhelmed by that fact. God, I pray that you help us to get out of this idea of trying to understand all of the theology behind this, but God, that we would choose by faith to believe. And God, for whatever reason, you have chosen to set your love on us, not because we're worthy, not because we're so awesome, not because we have so much to offer. God, we were like Esau. We deserve your judgment. We deserve to pay the penalty for our sin. But God, you've chosen to set your love on us, displayed through the cross of Jesus Christ, so we can be made right with you and be welcomed into your family. God, I pray that this would be a truth that would ring true in our hearts. That God, we'd be overwhelmed with joy Overwhelmed with joy that, God, you've chosen us. Chosen to set your love on us. God, I pray for those listening today that maybe today's the first time they've really contemplated the fact that God loves them. I pray that they would feel that pull today that God is speaking to them to say, would you come to me? Would you receive me? That today would be the day that they no longer run. Today would recognize today is the day I'm going to place my faith in Jesus. I'm going to choose to surrender and be a part of the family of God. I will identify as a son and daughter of God. And that because of that, God, lives would be transformed. God, that you would change people from the inside out. God, I'm so thankful that you love us thankful that you are present with us today, that you are speaking to us today. And pray, Lord, you help us to, to cherish this idea of your love. God, we love you and praise you. And we thank you for meeting us here today in your holy and precious name. Amen.